Feeling tired at the gaming table? Want to hear foul-mouthed jackasses poke fun at gaming companies when they screw up? Want an honest, street-level opinion from a team of gamers that call it like it is? Then Blunt Force Gamers may be the podcast for you. Listener discretion advised. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and gamers of all ages, it is us. You know who we are. The intro's already played. I'm Game Goblin. Coming out of my lair for another week of audio terror. And this week I am joined with... Kazarkan, the Lord Dragon. And... Darth Blasphemous. Hail to the dark side. And this week we are tackling the most difficult aspect of role-playing. Alignment. Oh, no, wait, 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 wait. Alignment. Yeah, no, we, we We've done that, that, like, years ago. No, we are going over rules and systems. The other most hated thing to talk about that has inspired arguments that have split into real world. Things that have taken on a life of their own. Arguing over rules as written or rules as implied. Oh, I thought you were going to do Edition Wars because that was a whole different ball. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. That That's going to be like a five-part series we're going to have to start after fucking quarantine. But no, uh, I really wanted to go into rules, and systems are interesting because there are different iterations, or you can be like Pathfinder and just completely throw out the old rules so you can rip off whatever D&D is doing now. Yeah, that's fun. Um, but yeah, I wanted to talk specifically about rules, their enforcement, and understanding. I mean, we've had stories before about the famous tacos. Mmm, tacos. We've also had stories about game masters setting traps too well because they know their players which is yeah but we're talking about a twisting of the rules it, it i didn't twist the rules per se that was entirely rules as written i just wrote them in such a way that i had unforeseen consequences of doing too well anyway uh when it comes to rules as intended rules as intended is the best friend of a player and they will argue this shit relentlessly Unless there are rules lawyer, and then it's rules as written, which it will argue relentlessly. While the GM usually is a because of the nature of the job, usually sets more rules as written side. Uh, most groups will divide themselves by this uh, dichotomy. I know we, all dichotomies are false dichotomies. There's areas of gray in between, but typically the GM will side closer to raw as the players sit more towards Ray. All right, now. Just for a definition of terms, because I'm sure not everyone is going to be familiar with these terms. Mm. R-A-W, rules as written. These are the exact verbiage that any book or source material has that explains the rule. Rules as intended is how one, players, and to some extent GMs will see these rules and see how they're supposed to act but the rules as written aren't lining up with this, and this is typically what causes this friction. This is what R-A-I is. Yeah, Ray. So. Ray, a guy I used to know. <laughs> you stole that line from me, which I stole from somebody else. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, and it continues. And it continues. Uh, I think one of the best ones for this, actually, I was running a Pathfinder game about, shit, eight years ago, seven years ago... Some time ago. Anyway, I'm running a Pathfinder game, and 
oh god, my player at that time. Uh, we, we've already discussed problem players, and I, I had a diva there arguing with me. And yes, this dude was totally a diva. And I read the rules, you know, because they ask for a clarification, and I'm like, as the GM, this is how I read it. And, you know, because it was just like a line and a half of material that they wanted clarification. I'm like, as a GM, this is the way I interpret it. And then the diva goes, well, no, it means this. And honestly, their argument actually could have read in the direction which was different than the interpretation I had. It could have been read both ways. The fact that they had to argue it right there at the table in front of everybody else, you know, trying to assert authority over the game master as to how the game is run was actually very disparaging and annoying as fuck. And on top of that, just poor sportsmanship. Very poor sportsmanship. That's why nobody plays with this motherfucker anymore. He basically just plays with himself. Uh, or anybody dumb enough to run games for him, and usually they wind up hating the fact that they're running a game for him, because, I don't know, he's... It, it's a, just be the DM. It's a pretty bad sign of your DM capabilities when you have to run a game for a person like this, because nobody else will play in your games. So, you know, the, the cream rises to the top kind of situation, I guess, when it comes to gaming. Um, anyway, the, that's one of the problems with rules as intended, is sometimes lines are written and the writer knows exactly what they're talking about but the end result is kind of ambiguous it, it can go more than one direction as far as interpretation goes yay for the english language yay for the english language the other big problem that i've encountered in, in game sets when it comes to rules uh especially rules as written not as intended but as written is you'll get like the core rule book, maybe one or two supplement books in, or the core splat book for the GM. So you get the core rule book, the GM's book, and the rules will be concurrent with each other. And then after, say, three, four years of publication, they'll come out with a module or a supplement book or a combat, you know, splat book. And there will be a rule in there that specifically, like, I guess the people writing it didn't exactly read up with the core materials. And that book will have a deviation, from a, a deviation, if not outright toss aside. Yeah, you know, like it'll overrule one of the previously established rules in the core rule book, or it'll deviate from it, or add like another layer to it that's really unnecessary. And social <laughs> combat. Yeah, social. You combat. know what? We hate on social combat, but you know what? It definitely makes a game more interesting. I love how we have social combat in this module, and the DM absolutely hates it because he has to... How many pages did he say he had open that one day? Like, he had 12, and that was on a low day. Yeah, that was on a day where we had very little social combat. But yeah, it is a super interesting thing, and I would love to see how Q would play that. I'm sure he would just crumple it up and throw it out the fucking window. Your characters are now dead, sir. Roll new ones, except for you. You're now... The Peasant Lord of the Ditch. Right. Mm, Stuff like this. Yes. Actually, they have uh, social combat <coughs> rules in uh, Vampire the Requiem 2nd Edition rule set. Or No, actually, no. Requiem, uh, the fall of... It's, it's basically when the Camarilla begins. Uh, shit. It's a supplement uh, splat book kind of thing. And... The characters 
actually are in ancient Rome playing vampiric characters. This is the fall of the Roman Empire, start of the Camarilla kind of situation with the vampires. Uh, the Strigoi, no, not the Strigoi, the Strix, that's what they are. The Strix are like killing off the Julie clan and the Venture are about to appear out of nowhere kind of stuff. How this relates, though, is they actually brought in social combat in this. And one of my uh, companions at the time, he was into college stuff like that. And me and him were both big on Roman stuff. I was really big on the uh, religion side, while he was more big on the cultural side. And so we have some interesting conversations about Rome. And he knew more about this than I did because I was more focused on, like, who begat who and which god, you know, did what. And there are some really freaky fucking gods in that pantheon. I tell you what, you think Dionysus is crazy. Uh, uh, I believe in the Roman he is Bulcus. Uh, Bacchus, Dionysus, same dude, whatever. He is not the end-all, be-all of crazy. He's just a load of fun... To a point. Anyway. Yeah, I know that I know that Dionysus has had a history. Oh, he's got a history. <laughs> Saying it nicely. Anyway, yeah, I... in this supplement for Vampire the Requiem, they actually do have debate as part of the game mechanics, like the, the module you guys are currently playing. And they have things that are like how to ask questions. So no matter how your opponent answers, he looks like an idiot. <laughs> You know, this, this is actually a Greek ta or a tactic in Rome slash Greece during debates. You ask a question or how to shut down somebody's line of questioning with um, reverse questioning. You know, just all sorts of these debate tactics they have in there. And I'm just like, why would they do this? This is how you kill a party. Is you get two people who suddenly, you know, they're playing vampires and... We've gone over this topic in the past, you know, a character is, in part, their creator. Right. Right? It doesn't matter, you know, like, Blasphemous has NPCs. These NPCs, he would take it personal, you know, to a degree. If somebody started attacking the shit out of these NPCs, because these are characters he's thought about, and, and to bring these characters to life, he's got to put a little bit of himself into it. Same as you, same as me, same as anybody else. Right. So if we're playing player characters, you know, we, we invest in this. We've only got one character to sheet to worry about. And then suddenly we're in a game setting where we have to debate each other and make the other guy look like an idiot while doing it. Oh, jeez. That's a great way to start a fight. Good job, White Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> I may have to look into this because now those sound interesting. It does sound interesting. Um, it's an interesting psychological rule set. I, I is, think. I think where we're going at. Yeah, it is a very interesting psychological thing. Uh, as far as systems go, uh, are, are we doing systems or are we doing... Um, I mean, definitely taking looks at systems, but the main focus is rules and the different ways they can be interpreted or interesting anecdotes of having to defend a point on the way a rule is meant or written to be done. Uh, well, the only interesting... I hate that word. Anyway. Anecdote. It's easy. Ancidote. Say spaghetti. Spaghetti. Specifically. Ancidote. See, I just I can't do it. All right. I found his kryptonite, and it's antidote. Er, antidote. Uh, <laughs> it's infectious kryptonite now. Yeah. No, no. It's the goblin kryptonite. Anecdotally. 
Anyway, um, the only one that I have, as far as this goes, and this is actually from one of the games that you both participated in, uh, I made a bad rules call. Uh, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm doing my jamming thing, and unfortunately my rules call was related to Magic the Gathering. This was when I was still behind the counter at the shop. And behind the counter at the shop, I had to do a lot of judging, or actually just being called in for rules clarifications by Magic players. It comes with a job. Right. I mean, I, I missed the level one judge test by one question. Yay me! I was guessing! So, I guess that's not too bad. Um, anyway, in Magic the Gathering, when two creatures, you know, fight each other, you have to make the call, you know, who dies and who lives kind of thing based on damage and toughness. And unfortunately, this rule is in the back of my head when somebody asked a question when, you know, they were rolling to hit an NPC, uh, an aggressor, they, they make the roll to hit and they match the AC and I made the call, I believe it was, ties go to defender. I believe that was the rules call I made, it's been a while. And you guys were like, okay with it, and I think one person, I believe it was uh, Thoric, you know, kind of gave me this weird look like, uh, dude. And of course, Narciss, being who he is, had to immediately look it up. And he's like, no, 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 this is the way the rules work in the book. And he corrected me on that one. Uh, one of the few times I actually appreciate him Googling an answer. He's very useful for condition hunting, I will say. He, he's very good for Googling. And the problem, the thing was, though, is he looked us up and we were already very many turns into combat. I, I believe we were around you know, turn six or seven by the point he looked it up. But I had been rolling with my call up into that point. And, and everyone at the table. And, and so was everybody else. And I'm like, look, we've, we've already gotten this far into the combat spread. And I put the uh, the card on the table. I was like, look, we can finish this combat doing it the way that I've already made the rules call. It's only fair to finish out combat. You know, you guys only got a few more rounds to go. We'll finish it out by the call that I made, which is a bad call. And when we go back into combat in another scenario, we can do it by the other call. Or we can just keep doing it the way we're doing it. So I put that card on the table and everybody agreed, you know, for simplicity's sake, since we already, you know, dipped our toes in the water doing it the way that I made the rules call, and it really didn't make that much of a difference overall, we would just stick with it. Right. You know. And it's, you know, a big part of this is that communication, right? We keep going back to this. We keep going back to the, the key thing that makes a DM good. It's communication, communication, communication. This is why. Because I believe didn't Narcissus go further with that, or would, did we just sort of table vote it as? Uh, I believe call? he wanted to try to go further with that, but once I opened up the dialogue to the table as a holder, uh, and I was like, "Look, we're in the middle of combat. Let's finish the scenario." I believe everybody just agreed. You know, like we've already started it one way, and to change gears later on might confuse people. So let's just stay with. The route that we've already taken, you know, it would alleviate uh, confusion further down the line. And really, ties going to the aggressor or ties going to the defender does not make that huge of a difference as far as rules calls go uh, in a game like Pathfinder. Right. Now, on the other hand, um, you can get some pretty intense debates over the wording of rules. Let's take Pathfinder again. 
the example of an alchemist's bond, right? This one's pertinent to me because I'm playing one in one of the one of the campaigns I'm in with Thoric now. As written, an alchemist's bombs do the minimum amount of damage possible when doing dealing splash damage as applicable, and then half if saved. Things like point blank shot or other things that modify that base damage can therefore be argued as boosting the splash damage as well. But Point Blank Shot, the feat, explicitly calls out that it does not do so. So Point Blank Shot says, this does not increase the splash damage of thrown weapons. Period. Okay. That sounds pretty cut and dry. It's cut and dry, but because of the wording, the exact wording is that the minimum amount of damage possible. So, treat each die as one, plus all the bonuses. In Alchemist Bombs, is specifically where it starts getting fussy. We talked it over with Thor- I talked it over with Thoric, and I made the decision, because I didn't want to be that guy who stabbed everybody in the back by doing so, to... Yes. Okay, my phone went off. That, that's his phone, because, you know, we're recording and somebody's got to leave their phone on. <sighs> now, once again. Three um, and a half years of this, I thought you guys would be professionals by now. Hey, at least it didn't ring. Yes, yes. All right, anyway, you, you, you want a real this? argument? You want a real argument? This? I will give you a real argument in a moment. So, finishing up, uh, finishing up this little stint, I made the call because I didn't want to override the rest of the party. I made the call that I'm fine with just it's the initial splash the initial impact damage and nothing else, and that's fine. I don't need this giant mess of crazy bullshit going into my bombs. They're already pretty jank as is. I don't need to be personally throwing that much further weight around. You know it'd be really cool though with an alchemist? Mm. Cocaine bombs. I'm just saying, like, you toss one in the middle of your party and suddenly, like, the fighter can do all the fighter things. The wizard can do all the wizard things. The rogue can do all the rogue things. And you're like, go on, guys, go do all the things. Hold on, isn't that just what a bard does? I swear, bard is just fancy for dealer, because it's like, you can all of a sudden do the thing because you're a buddy of mine, and you all of a sudden can't do shit because you're an enemy of mine. It's like, alright, I'm going to give uppers to my people, and I'm going to give downers to the enemy, it'll all work out. That's right, it'll all work out. No, yeah. no, no, now here's a real argument for you, and I had this one happen in-game, and it damn near killed the entire game, because, again, a certain diva would not shut the fuck up. And there are, there are people in this world that I, if I could legally get away with just Removing their kneecaps with a circular saw, I would fucking do it in a heartbeat. Unfortunately, the law says that this is not good behavior. Granted, I was hoping this pandemic would turn into kind of like social disorder and stuff, so the rules would get kind of wibbly-nibbly. And as long as there's electricity, I could give this person a sense of my frustration in a more physical aspect. Anyway... Regardless of that, here is the rules call. Okay, say so you're both of you. Okay, mm -hmm. so Blasphemous, Kazrakan, you're in my group. And you're fighting a creature who fucks you up horribly. Okay, let's say Blasphemous here. 
You're okay, Kaz, you're the healer. Blasphemous, you're the fighter. The fighter gets his mouth knocked in. His jaw is broken, half of his teeth are shattered, and his eye socket is dislocated, okay? Like shattered cheekbone kind of stuff, okay? He's he, having a bad day. He is fuckered. Now, if I put a ring of regeneration on his finger now, would that heal the damage that he has previously sustained, or will it only heal damage that he takes after the ring is put on his finger? That is See, a very my understanding would be the ring only knows your existence while it's on you. It doesn't know what you are like at full power. So it will only go, like, it needs to have a baseline to go off of. So it will only get you back to that baseline of when it was originally applied. Yeah, we, we had this argument for several hours because one of the people did actually lose teeth and put on a ring of regeneration to grow his teeth back. Yeah, that's... That's a, that's the sort of thing that's a GM call because like I said, no, your teeth will not grow back because the ring of regeneration does not know your peak health before it was put on. It only starts at the baseline of you already being previously damaged. Right. Plus, you would be the greatest fucking dentist in all of the land with a ring of regeneration. Bing. You you are uh, ra- uh, walking uh, uh. around and like there are peasants literally missing half of their fucking teeth. Why don't you just walk into a town and charge one gold piece, which is a very modest sum, to give a ring of regeneration to one of the peasants for two minutes? Oh, they grow all their teeth back. You take the ring and you go on to the next person. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's 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 one of those things. It is. So that's a, that's a very good rules as written versus rules as intended. Rules as intended is what is portrayed here. The ring doesn't know what your what your baseline is before it's now. Blown. Hold on, there there's one caveat I would give to this though. Say you've got a ring of regeneration, and in order to make it cheaper, you're like it only works on humans, it only works on males. So it understands human male. It has a baseline program. It only works for them. So you would imagine at that point that that ring would be able to take you back to what is the quote-unquote typical or whatever the original creator's idea of fully regenerated if that's its pre-programmed baseline if we're bringing in the system of you make things cheaper by specializing them now the now there's a reverse caveat to this right that, that's just a, a ring of transformation because that's if it's running on baseline code it's shaping whatever it's wearer into mm-hmm. that one image of defined health and not only that i mean like if you put on a ring of regeneration with the intent of regrowing teeth after a battle, right? What is to say other damage is not retroactively removed? Like scar tissue. Or tattoos. Tattoos, exactly. I mean, who's to say that previous damage that has been incurred beforehand is not healed? What if your character was circumcised? They're going to grow that back too? What if you had to make a ritual sacrifice of like cutting your ring finger at the first nub to your god. Does that come back? Does your god now disown you? Right, and there's a lot of murky waters with this topic for this exact reason. This is where rules is written is like, look, GM says it doesn't have a baseline until you put it on. Run with it. That Mm -hmm. becomes the new ironclad rule. Yeah, well, the argument I was in was, no, it'll heal all my damage. And I'm like, no, it won't heal all your damage. That damage was sustained before you put the ring on. 
It's not that smart. They're not. <laughs> like, magic coating is not that smart. Now, really. now, if it was a thing of, I am still currently bleeding and all that, and the Ring of Regeneration stops said bleeding, I could believe that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would have rolled with that in a heartbeat. Yeah, it's it knows how to knit flesh. Hey, look, this is seeping, and it shouldn't be. Clip. It knows that. It's, it, you know, it's, but, it's brittle. But to, heal, that. but to heal beyond hit points, because the Ring of Regeneration specifically rules is written heals hit points. Mm-hmm. Doesn't grow teeth back. Yeah, it'll stop you from bleeding out. I would say it would stop you from bleeding out because that's part of healing hit points is to stem the tide of blood flowing. Literally, it, it's the ultimate thing to have on everybody for when they have to do those death saving throws because I got ring kicks in. I don't have to make any saving throws. That's why everybody wants them. <laughs> no, I want them because they are hilarious at parties where the undead are present. Also true. Also how, spooky. How, how does that work? Um... Uh, well, you know that trick when, you know, you, well, in Pathfinder, it would be sleight of hand. Mm-hmm. You know, you walk up, you shake the hand of the vampire lord, but instead of taking off his signet ring, you slip the ring on him while you go to shake his hand. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great party prank. Yep. All oh, right. this is the undead lord. I'll go shake his hand, a little sleight of hand action. Boom, you're wearing a ring of regeneration. Cursed. Enjoy. Enjoy your extra weirdness. Just watch him burst into flames and, you know, run around the living room screaming while the band wonders what the fuck just happened. Yeah. <laughs> you can do so. And then that's followed up by a bluff roll like you have no idea what the fuck just happened. Yeah. So, another another topic on how magic works, right? This was a five-hour debate between me and three people who are now my roommates, as well as one more. Usually right. it's the other way around. Like three people who are no longer my roommates. <laughs> at the time, at the time they weren't, and now they are. Here we go. Polymorph. In five E. Well, there's your problem. Well, <laughs> the concept of polymorph applies in other editions and how it's applied. The the debate was not. It was how can how do you know you can transform into a thing. The rules specifically call out that it is a CR equal to your character level. So your challenge rating becomes your character level. Pretty straightforward. Now the crazy part about this is, how do you know what that thing is? So say I want to transform my fighter into a dragon. Right? Assuming I can find one that matches up with his tier and all that stuff, how does Polymorph get person to dragon? Now, is this. Now, let's further throw on this. What happens if you don't know what a dragon is? Is it just picking from a menu? Is it. You know, like a scroll down menu, is it just sort of how you envision it? And then what happens when you envision it wrong or don't have a background in anatomy? Okay, so it's kind of like what you're saying is imagine a color you've never seen before. Exactly. And then change your skin to that color. Yes, and this is this is where mm. this whole debate went with Polymorph. Because, like... You know, in the modern era, we have these things called pull-down menus and very, many, 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 many programs, right? It's all over the place. So it's like, oh, well, I want to copy something. Let's just 
find the menu and click copy. Okay, I, I can I, do that. I There's believe shortcuts. he's got a counterpoint over there Dude, brewing. Now, here's the whole thing it boils down to. In the world you're running in, is this magic freeform, say, as a um, spontaneous caster? Or is there an actual god of magic or school of magic from which you draw? Because it's like saying, all right, I'm going to take this program that says dragon and I'm going to run it. Now, does that mean it's going to run the same for you as it does for me, even though I'm on a different computer in a different state in a different country? Right. If we're pulling the same program that we were both pulled from? Or is this a spontaneous thing where it's like, I'm just going to do a thing because you're fabulous and shit? You know, where does that Bart. stem from? Oh right. my God, that makes me want to play a sparkle dragon. <laughs> now, you can Who are you? I am fabulous. <laughs> so I, I mean, had a character like that in mind. If uh, like if, if there was a god of magic in, in a game I was running like that, right? The god of magic is the one who determines that, like, all right, everything connects A to B. Right. Right? God of magic has a billion little, because usually my gods of magic are dragons, has a billion little kobolds who were good little fucking Scribes and dude bros and burnt that dank holy kush every day so in the afterlife they become my switchboard operators of magic oh we got a guy calling for a fireball connect that to the plane of fucking you know fire energy oh we got a guy who manipulated now he wants a bee cannon so uh, fucking plane of nature <laughs> actually that does bring up an interesting question okay okay here's rules for you now now we're gonna cross editions if we start out with AD&D, 2nd edition... Oh, Lord. Should I grab the book? It's no, 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 no. We're going back in time here. Okay? So it is stated... I can't remember the exact book as it's stated in. Okay? This is where I kind of wibbly-nibbly. However, when we get into the description of the Decanter of Endless Water, as you guys know, is one of my favorite magical items <laughs> ever. Yes, yes, especially when you manipulate it by changing the base spell's connection. That is actually where this is going. Okay, so the Decanter of Endless Water in the description of the magic item states that it pulls the water out of the plane of elemental water, which anybody who studies the planar stuff knows the plane of endless water is infinite. Thus, I can destroy everything with one decanter, but that's besides the point and takes a long time. Regardless, it pulls from the plane of elemental water, and then later on in lay um further edition. Further edition, so we're going to get we're going to get in the 3.0, 3.5 territory here. They state on how to build the decanter of endless water. Again, they state that the decanter is pulling from the plane of infinite water. All right. Same plane. Same plane, but now we have the rules on how to create one as a player character, so we can actually build one. And we're like, okay, I need a water spell as my core spell, so it will tap into that elemental plane. Similar to like your switchboard, the Kabold is pulling from the elemental plane of fire. Yep. The decanter is pulling from the elemental plane of water. Now, we get into later editions. Fourth edition, we're going to just skip that one because it's not rememberable. But if we get into Pathfinder slash 5th edition, okay, not Pathfinder 2.0. Pathfinder 1.0 plus D&D &D 5e. Yeah, okay, so both of these editions don't, well, the last time I checked anyway, I know Pathfinder doesn't for sure. I'm not that familiar with 5th edition because I'm avoiding cancer. Anyway, in Pathfinder... I know it specifically does not say that it pulls from the elemental plane of water. There's no description. There's still the same core building mechanics in there. But now, rules as written 
don't state does not state where the water comes from. In 5th edition, I'm pretty sure this is the same scenario. It does not state where the water is coming from. It just creates it now. I'd have to figure... I'd have to yeah. look it up. So, in Pathfinder, since it does not specifically state that it pulls from the plane of elemental water, am I still going rules as written if I'm using 3.5 rules, which are somewhat compatible with Pathfinder rules. But if Blasphemous is GMing, and I'm like, I want to change the core spell, so it pulls from the elemental plane of cheese. Thanks, Sheogora. Yeah, but I want cheese for everybody, okay? Cheese for cheese. everyone! That's right. Do you mind? I'm doing the fish stick. It's a delicate state of mind. Anyway. He's so good. If Blasphemous is running the game... What would you say? What, what, what would you say? Because I'm using rules as written from 3.5, not Pathfinder at this point. Even though it's the same magical item, the spells from 3.5 and Pathfinder are exactly the same to create it, but in Pathfinder it does not say I need to pull from the elemental plane of water. Due to international copyright law, of course. Of course. But um, to that, I mean, I would definitely look into it as of, alright, so you still need to create water spell, obviously. To, to create it. Same Where in Where is your books. create cheese? What spell do you have to create cheese? Create food. I mean... Create food and water to level one mm. cleric spell. He's not wrong. Yeah. Or so you have the spell, so then work. rules as written, you do the same thing of messing with the core spell and replace it, replace your create water with create food. Fuck it. You know what? I'm going to make a cheese cannon now. <laughs> If you run a game, I am literally going to make a cheese cannon. <laughs> so let's we see. Should also, we should also, at some point, Hero's Feast is another really good one. Because it also creates food. Now and it has extra benefits. Now hold Off on. Cannon. If you take Magic Missile and adjust that with um, fucking Goodberry, can you shoot Crunchberries? <laughs> Actually, um... You, yes, you probably could. Yes... Oh, um, actually, that would actually be kind of difficult based on the schools of the spells. Yeah, the, there, the there would be some, version would be a little tricky. Yeah, there there would be some backflipping to do to get that to be pulled off and cost effective. But I could probably do it. I mean that that's definitely a thing, and because one is a force effect, the other is a healing effect. The good berries are stationary. The magic missiles actually have a range. There are some variables in the mathematics, but I'm sure I can work it out given time. So what about Acid Splash? Just changing that spell around. So you create a ring of Acid Splash. Oh, no problem. Yeah. Ring of Acid Splash, that's a waste of money. Mm. I mean, yeah. Create uh, For Forge Ring to make a Acid Splash? Fuck, man. <laughs> yeah, no, trust me. I'm I gotta trying. be level 12 and spend a kingdom's worth of gold to do 1d3 points of damage X amount of times per day. I, I'd call it the troll uh, high five. I mean, at, at that point, you're, nah, hold you're, you're, what? you're giving it to a troll as a fuck you. Basically. That's different. And there are way cheaper ways to cut regeneration. Yeah. So many cheaper ways. Yeah, I, I would just fucking enchant arrows. Enchant arrows with acid splash and specifically build in that it negates regeneration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some things that you could jockey around with. And that that's where I, I, I'm i really good at the rules, especially with 3.5. Because once I realized that I can do 
anything. Rules as written, not rules as intended, but rules as written. Of course, I, and I, I have to curb this. You guys know it because oh, yes. I can power game like a motherfucker by the magic creation rules, which is why I believe they do not exist in 5.0. Because <laughs> um, if they had oh, also because five E sucks. Yeah, well, five E sucks. But if they had creation rules, and I already know that system is borked in some regards, especially when you got a cleric in the group, uh, you can just—I think it's a mid-level cleric and a mid-level wizard. You can do anything; doesn't matter. Yeah, pretty much. You just fucking win. I mean, well, being a cleric is broken as is. I mean, talk about one of the most powerful classes. Yeah, but some of the spells, the way they got them set up, is like, uh, the wizard needs to be doing a force field around the creature, then the cleric casts, like, these little call drop things, and whatever's inside the fucking force field takes 1d4 per turn until dead. Yeah, basically. Automatically. So you just walk in, you high-five the boss, and be like, we're done. That's it. We win. Eat a dick. Uh, but no, uh, with, with magic item creation rules, and this is actually really wibbly-nibbly territory, because this is, like, pure rules lawyer shit. You have to be 100% fluent in these rules. Your interpretation has to be spot on, black and white, by the ink on the page. Because any deviation in your creation that does not make the slightest amount of sense and is OP as fuck, the GM will destroy you. Like, full kid finding out cake tastes good. Just face mash gone. Okay, this is uh, the item creation rules in D and D, because you get the, the 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 joy you have with this is you can write out page upon page upon page upon page to make sure the entire thing is you know fully locked down airtight. But when you do, uh, but you only get like by the rules uh, depending on the GM. If you make a wish in character that's even slightly irritating the GM, they will ruin your fucking life. But this, they will ruin your life in and out of game because you've just basically created an item that will destroy everything in its path kind of shit. It's, it's crazy. Satellite launchers. ICBMs. Yes, yes, I... But his proudest invention is a dirt cannon. My proudest invention is a dirt cannon because it is the only non-weapon device not meant to destroy everything. Which is fantastic, by the way. But still, you can weaponize it and bury a continent. Actually, you know what the hardest one to create was, though? It was a Vorsuit. Um, what? Yeah, um, I was yeah, in a... Yeah, I've, I've heard you tell this story once. I believe we were sitting in the house oh, we'll get... smoking intensely after so many hours of no sleep. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a no sleep thing. And I was like, <laughs> hey, you want to know what I made? Uh, I was in a gaming group that was of questionable uh, morality. Okay. Uh, deviancy, uh, degeneration. Yeah, you got to experience different things as a GM. You've got to, you know branch out there gming is one of those things where you never stop learning and sometimes you got to walk down a dark alleyway and shake hands with somebody you'd rather not just for the experience that when you run games think shit will be more accurate or you know read a book you don't want to read just so you understand the viewpoint that you normally wouldn't kind of stuff so mm-hmm. i joined one of these more risque risque more liberated D groups on the interwebs and actually, I hit it off really well with one of the guys there. And his big thing, though, is he really was into the fetish of vor. 
Oh. Weird fetish. It is a very weird fetish, but you know what? It's not little kids. Yeah. So I'm like, you know what? I will let bygones be bygones because it's consenting adult feeding themselves to a fucking dragon, whatever. But he wanted to be Vord. He wanted his character to be Vord all the time. And I'm like, you know what? I will see what I can do by the numbers because I had already worked my my wizardry uh, before for another player, and they're like, holy shit, this person makes magic items. Like, oh god. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? I will work my wizardry for you. And I made a fucking Vor suit for this character, and it was. Um, it had the cycle, so it balanced out. It would constantly eat the person inside the Vor suit. At the same time, it would restore them. So it was basically just a, a nutrient recycler. The nutrients would just flow in a circle. He was constantly being eaten. Well, the character was constantly being eaten while being healed at the same time. So they got to be Vord, but survive it. And I was like, this was a difficult build to do because technically, Vord by its very nature kills the person being eaten. I have never had a cake greet me first thing in the morning after I ate it the night before. <laughs> I, I, I don't come downstairs and see the box of Twinkies is full again on the counter. No, once I eat a Twinkie, it's gone. That was a huge hurdle to wait, jump wait, wait. over. So basically, you turned him into corn. He will never fully be broken down. <laughs> yes, the player character became corn. Well, the, 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 the weird shell around corn. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Just, Actually, the inedible you know, shit? Yeah, the inedible shit, yeah. Um, Stuff that literally your stomach acid cannot eat? That, But it was it was strange, because this was one of my more difficult builds. I'm not proud of it. But, I mean, be but proud of the accomplishment. The fact that, you know, after two weeks, I came back, and I was like, here's the core spells, here's the build, here's how, uh, the steps you need to do the build in the proper order, and here's the end result. And they're like... And he looks it over and he like passes it to a GM and the GM is like, yeah, this is genius. You can do it. Like the, <laughs> even the GM was like, holy shit, this build is intense. You have just built a supercomputer out of the spells allotted. Congratulations. Yes, you can have it. Pay the money. <clears throat> but I am still most proud of my dirt launcher because it is not degenerative as fuck. It is not a 24 uh, missile bank floating in high orbit over my enemy's uh, Stronghold. strongholds. Nor is it, I want to put an Olympic-sized swimming pool right there in the king's forehead. <laughs> A difficult build, but still hilarious. <laughs> or your sleeping bag? Or my sleep... Well, the sleeping bag was actually a lot of fun, and that's a story um, for another day. <laughs> <laughs> that character was evil as fuck. So was I. I mean, it, it's definitely a thing when you get into... Like, I've been trying to read, but with my tooth pain the last couple of weeks, it's been really hard to focus. Um, so it's it's gotten a little harder, but I was literally going to be cracking open after I was done with The Ultimate Wilderness, which, God, that's a good book. If you guys haven't checked that one out for Pathfinder... I've been uh, thumbing it a little bit. It's part um, of uh, the social combat character. But... Uh, I, I plan on moving into Ultimate Magic uh, and really just diving delp in the core book magic portion. Because I really haven't and I really should, especially because I'm basically GM flubbing a bunch of equipment. Um, but you know, that that's definitely one of the funner parts of Pathfinder compared to D&D 5e from my personal experience is there definitely seems to be a lot more customization all the way down to your spells. 
Like, yes, you have your base spells, but whenever you want to go and craft something, the crafting rules in Pathfinder are really in-depth when you start getting into the nitty-gritty. Nitty-gritty. I mean, yeah, and this... The minutia. The minutia. I think the point that we're kind of getting at is, like, rules as written gives the players a great deal of freedom if they know how to read it. See, case, case in point, item creation. Case in point, drop-down menus. Yeah, so the, the whole debate, though, really comes down is most players will go for rules as intended first. Uh, unless they're a rules lawyer or power gamer, rules molester. <laughs> yes, I've earned that last title. Now, no. I I would honestly, and I always try to, just go off whatever the GM says go, because they're the one who tell gods what to do. You know, if, if GM says, nah, you know what, the rules are completely changed, at least let me know ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. Our good friend Narciss has had a shit time with a GM who literally changed all the rules of Pathfinder because they wanted to play the game a certain way, but didn't let anyone else know until they fucked up. And that is a shit GM, and... If I was a player in a game like that, literally, if I walk into a game and I sit down with a character sheet and the GM changes the rules on the fly mm. just because they want to, and uh, that alone is a red flag, but if they don't tell the players what the changes are to the rules, yeah. that which is, is a separate red flag, which that is, is also a, scary. That's an even bigger red flag, and that just tells me to get the fuck out because they're not running the game for the story, they're not running the game for the players, they're not running the game for the enjoyment of the group. They're running the game for themselves. It's their own ego trip of, look what I can do, I can do anything I want, anything you will do is wrong. And it also fosters favoritism like a motherfucker, because somebody might be sitting in that group who decides they want to do something in character, and that means the GM can just change the rules without telling anybody, just for that one player, and keep it under the table, secret. Nobody will be aware that the rules have changed just for that one player. All because that person jiggles their jimmies. Maybe that one person jiggles their jimmies. Yeah, exactly. That is the kind of GM people should avoid and get away from immediately. And yeah, I, I would never play in a group like that knowingly. If I walked into a group and the GM started pulling shit like that, I'd be like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to play Minecraft instead. Because at least in that... It's consistent. It's consistent. If I fall in lava, I will die. And Minecraft doesn't update their servers with new rules every other week and not tell me. Yeah. Right. At, yeah, least I, the, at least the patch notes. Yeah. At least they give me the patch notes. I mean, like, as a player, as a player, when you buy the books, you expect something from the game. Because those books are loaded with rules. OCCs, RCCs, races, species, boats, planes, whatever. It comes with a shitload of rules that are in hard print. You know what to expect. And not only that, you say your standard book runs about $30. But you got a decent job. That's God, that'd be heavenly $30. I I'm book. just saying, okay, uh, I'm old here, man. My first book was 20 bucks. Well, 1995 plus shipping and handling. Boy, you were prohibited. New York residents, please add 14.27% sales tax. No pets allowed. Do not read this book if you're nursing, pregnant, or be expect to become pregnant. Anyway, point of the fact is, if I buy a book for 30 bucks, that and I get a decent job that pays 15 bucks an hour, that is two hours of real life work I've done for that book. You know, uh, or if it's a D and D book, we're looking at 50 bucks. That's mm. easily half my day's wages. Yeah. 
And if I need two bucks to play in a game, that means I have spent eight and a half hours at a job site I don't want to be at. Another hour of commute time on a good day. So we're looking at nine and a half, maybe ten hours of my personal time invested and money that I'll never get back into a game. I have certain expectations of the rules that I bought with these books. And if somebody decides to get all willy-nilly and fuck with the, my time, ten and a half hours of my day is gone, I'll never get that back, and somebody decides they want to stroke their own ego after I invested my time and money into something, fuck them. Fuck them in the neck with a piece of rusted crowbar. But now we get around to the point, just before the end here, of house rules. House rules are a thing. We have one that we used a lot, which was uh, beat, not meet. You gotta beat it, not meet it. Because I, I really hate how it's like, I work so hard to get this extra plus one on my fucking AC with whatever the fuck, where I pay for to get it on my armor, and they still roll a 19 and hit me. Nah, they gotta roll a fucking 20, son. You're hitting my shield, that's how hard you hit it, but if you hit hard enough to break my shield, then yeah, you're fucking hurting me. I would think with some house rules, especially the more wibbly-nibbly uh, house rules, or the ones that are more deviant from the standard rule set, say uh, if you have a house rule that a bard needs to have a license to be able to play in any town, mm. you know, that's just a you know a weird background thing. But if, if I'm, a, as a GM, pretty consistent in this house rule, I should write this down. Yes. You know, if it's a real wibbly nibbly rule, and I'm just using that one as an example. I mean, there's weirder rules out there. I God, I know it. But if it's a really weird rule, and I'm running a group that may have one or two new players who are not experienced with my GMing style or maybe the other player's play style, you know, some these house rules should be brought to the table or at least written down so people know, you know, what is currently the house rule. Which is comes to the point where I'm I'm basically working on my ideal gaming area downstairs and I have I've been given a pair of bulletin boards I'm going to post on one of them says the uh, the house rules and on three by fives I will write them down in big black bold sharpie and then pin them there because they're the ones we've all agreed upon are the ones we got and then on um, the other side, which is a fucking dry erase board, be like, uh, suggestions. And then people can just go up and write down their suggestions. And you gotta put your initials at the end of it so I know who the fuck wrote it. Oh, um, actually, side, a side topic. You heard me talking to Kazarkan about this earlier, and I spoke to two of the other players. Um, one of the things I'm doing, actually, as far as the house rule, and everybody agrees so far with the explanation... I've not had one person question it. Once they got the gist of what's going on... Totally good. Everybody's totally good with it. And that's... Uh, I'm going to be doing a Rifts game here in a while, and it's going to be coalition-based. And as far as uh, many players out there know, people tend to do... Especially GMs know this, is people tend to do seditious shit. They, they just want to do their own thing. Uh, you can have, like, a military campaign, and the players will do everything they can not to be part of that military campaign... As long as they get to kill people or something. Uh, anyway, I'm adding in a saving throw, so to speak, based on military indoctrination. 
you know, I'm going to call it LP, loyalty points, because that makes sense. That's how much, how loyal they are to the system that's giving them food, weapons, a place to sleep, and all that. Currency. Currency. Yeah, you're getting two grand a month in credits, which is actually fantastic money in Rift setting. And everybody agrees once they understand. And that's one of the things that is really important when making a house rule is one of the things that a GM should ask, is this rule logical? Does it have impact in the game world? And do my players understand how this rule interacts between their character and that world? Mm -hmm. And agree to it. And agree to it. Absolutely. So, there's that. And, you know, it's a very valid point. And on the subject of home, home rule, house ruling, you can also, like, um, our buddies over at Purple Hippo, they, like, he, he's tried his hand at making character classes, like, cl player options. So it's a little bit fussy because you have to sort of control, like, the power level has got to match up with the others, you know, your trial paladin variant of the elements isn't going to outclass any other paladin or any of the rest of the party unless the situation demands, because everyone's got to have their spotlight. Yeah, their, their speciality. Exactly. Right. This guy is really, he goes really great with onion soup. The rest of the party goes great with different soups, but this guy in onion soup is great. Yeah. Well, that's like I did a, a was doing another game, and I wrote up a or a race for that game, and except for the GM again, and this is very similar to the GM that Narcissus is currently uh, with right now. This GM was all in it for themselves, and they completely rained hellfire and swear words down upon my creation. The hilarity was all the other players. Except for the last power on it, because I was kind of having writer's block at that point. The very up until that point, people are like, "This is actually a very balanced race. It's not OP. It's not underpowered. It is very well balanced." I'm like, "Thank you guys. That's what I wanted to do with something that you guys would be able to take, copy, paste, and use for your own shit. That's complimentary as fuck." Right. Uh, how are we looking at for time there, Blasphemous? Uh, we're doing pretty good. We've still got a little bit of time. I'm not ah. sure a rapid fire will work due to our recording time right now. Yeah, that's I mean, true. But I do when have it... one small one, but that's it. <laughs> Puns aside. Dick. Fuck off. Ah, double pun. <laughs> <laughs> you opened the door to that one, dude. Oh, I totally did. I'm willing to walk through some my traps. <laughs> some say you walked in mouth first. Bye. Ooh, look, Mountain Dew. I'm just going to drink this soda here. Um, you know, they used to call me Beer Can in high school. Ask uh, me why. Get um, your pretty boy mouth out that over here. What was it? it I was, uh, so, there was a while ago, I brought up a game called Disintegration. It was basically the post humanity has uploaded to robots setting. Hoverbikes, Command a Small Squad. That is coming to official, I believe, early access release on June 16th. Okay. That's pretty much the main event. Shit, somebody's doing something on June 4th, or did something on June 4th. Fuck! I don't know, man. Like, watching the gaming sphere right now and the entertainment stuff just blow up on itself. It's really interesting, because everyone's doing these, like, 
um, online conventions where you can, like, fucking meander around a digitized version of the convention. And it, it's really interesting. They're like, oh, we're going to, you know, post live feeds of us doing the reveal exactly how we would have done on stage, but social distancing and being safe, blah, blah. And the, it's really odd mix, especially because a lot of people just straight pulled out of E3, and E3 was already on fucking life support. It was on less than life support. It was... It, all that E3 was missing was a toe tag. Yeah, and considering how this year has gone, I don't think we're going to have another E3. Uh, I would say E3 is never going to happen again, or at least not in the incarnation we used to have. It became too much of a circle jerk. Yeah. Uh, E3 used to be basically this, the football, you know, the, the Super Bowl for gamers. It was when the big reveals came. It was when, you know, you had the big competitions. You had a lot of people meeting and greeting. And it was a convention by gamers for gamers. But it got commercialized way too much. And it became too many of the developers were like, look at me, look at me. And then, of course, you had Gamergate, which was the catalyst for us starting this podcast in its own weird way, which started pretty much at E3 with journalists doing stupid shit, which they're still doing. They're getting called out for it still. But thankfully, BuzzFeed is going by the wayside. Well, it's not just BuzzFeed, but yeah, they're part of it. Uh, yeah, E3 will never see it again. And, and I mean, that that's definitely a thing, you know, is the changing world. Whether or not the... The koof koof would have gotten us. Um, things were moving in such a direction that, you know, epochs were changing. Just like one day Disney will fall. Disney will be broken up into its component parts and sold off to the highest bidder. Make it quick, please. But, you know, eventually that empire will fall. They're not going to have a thousand year mousy Reich. Um, <laughs> hey, Pluto, look, we got the first Reich. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, driving along. Don't worry, he's just signaling. He's saying take the third right. <laughs> hey, hey Pluto, take the fourth right. <laughs> but you know, that that's definitely the thing of it is we're seeing the end of an era due to the change in population. It's like if you went back in time, let's say 30 years before Kazurai were around. Gabo was probably in his early 40s at the time. Um, Close. (laughs) What has gone away in the past 30 years that back then seemed like a staple of life? Sanity. I mean... Besides that. Okay. Uh, uh, 30 years ago. 30 years ago, we had bumper stickers on the back of cars and pickup trucks that literally said, shit happens. Yeah. Okay. You had this going down the road. And... That was the attitude back then. You know, something bad happens, well, shit happens. Mm-hmm. You know, if something bad happened and you were, you, you were, and it really wasn't all that fucking big deal with, and you started crying about it, like, you know, the, the trash can tipped over in the front lawn and while you were at work and dogs got through and you had to pick the garbage back up, that's not that big of a deal. That's not earth shattering. That, that's not that's like not like my femur yeah. is sticking out of. My it's not leg. like your femur is sticking yeah. out of the side of your leg, but if you were to like to complain about it endlessly, somebody would just be like, "Ah, bitch, bitch, bitch." Exactly, you know? and they, then they, now yeah. it's becoming a society of all I do is complain about everything all day. Think yeah. about it. You know, you got all these people right now who they're just complaining constantly, no matter what. You know, whether it be the orange man in Washington or the fucking. 
little blonde guy in fucking ten downing street. Yeah, like or... like if you saw something uh, on TV you didn't like, you know what you did? You change a fucking channel. You change the fucking channel. And back then you people had to go walk across a room and turn a dial. Yes, we did actually. <laughs> I, I we had this one remote on our fucking VCR, which was actually our box for getting the stuff in. It, our remote control had a wire that attached to it all the way to the TV. Yeah. And it was only a 15-foot cord. Uh-huh. Our chair was further away from the TV than that. That's why it's supposed well, to live on your more. coffee table. Yeah, we didn't have a coffee table. We were poor, all right? But anyway... Okay, what, the barrel you bring in from the But yeah, you're, you're making your point that 30 years ago, life was different, and I've just told you, life was different. If something bad happened, you learned to fucking cope with it. You moved on. Mm. Bad shit was going to happen... Regardless of what, you might get hit by a car in a parking lot. You learned from that experience and you moved on. You didn't fucking go to your uh, whatever and cry about it. You didn't go to church and cry about it. You didn't go to your neighbors and cry about it. We of course, mommy. We didn't have, uh, well, we did have bulletin boards, but that was really niche. Uh, computers were still so fucking early back then. You didn't go onto a bulletin board system, though, and bitch about it. People did not have time to hear about you complain on a bulletin board system. They had other shit to do. I mean, and the closest you had was you had letters to the editor. Yeah, the closest we had was letters to the editor, and now it is role reversal. If a truck were to roll down the street with the bumper sticker that says shit happens, there would probably be protests and outrage. You can't Even fuck better it. if it's a manure, a manure truck. Yeah, even better if it's in a manure truck. Fuck yeah. <laughs> the, the point of the fact is, like, TV was way different back then. Sensitivity stuff was, you know, like, you had to go out of your way to be a fucking douche. To piss somebody off, or you had to pick a target that really didn't deserve it. You know, like yeah. if if you were to walk up to somebody with Down syndrome and call him a retard, yes, that would earn you backlash. But the word wasn't banned. No. You could call your best friend a retard; it was okay. But if you called somebody with Down syndrome a retard, oh, you were gonna get held on. That and it was, it, you know what? Don't call somebody with Down syndrome a retard because that is fucking mean. Even I would step up and be like, "Don't do that shit." Corky's all right. Leave him alone. Fact of the point is, now it's outrage culture and... Cancel culture. Cancel culture. Oh, gods. Uh, I'm just waiting, uh, and it's actually hitting right now, of course, with uh, Not Old Orcs coming back and D&D under fire now. Because uh, it's D&D. It, it has actually hit our game world. Like, even in uh, role-playing games, like, early on, when I got D&D books or even, like, the early Rifts books, there were some scandalous pictures in there or, you know, some strange depictions of stuff. Like, um, what was it? The big controversy was in the uh, Monster Manual. The, um... Uh, sexy bitch. Uh, nymph? No, not the nymph. It was the succubus. Oh, yeah. That oh, was I... the big controversy one. Yeah, well, the first time I picked up a D&D book and looked through the... it, there was pictures of women who were topless. I don't give a fuck if I'm a young scrubbing goblin. That you know, that's what they wore in. You know, it's a fantasy. Even I knew at this point it was a fantasy. I had to explain that to a full-grown adult. I'm like, this is a fantasy creature in a fantasy world. It's fictional, not real. This isn't fat material. Ugh. Yeah, I started my fight early on. <laughs> uh, Wait, where were we going with this? Because now I'm just ranting. Things that have changed over 30... So things are changing now. Like, we're seeing the end... Like, buffets. You can't have a buffet anymore. Buffets are gone. Well, They will not exist again because they're predicated on you fit as many people as you can in a small space 
and you get them to table turnover. You you move them in, you move new people in, shit moves out. Yeah, it's a glorified feeding trough for fourteen ninety five. They literally have come out and said, but places like Golden Corral and some of our local buffets that they're they're done. That they can't. They they literally can't. Goodbye, Chang's Mongolian. Because grill. they're gonna be gone. You know, until fucking they're basically like right now in our state, you know, we've got the different phases and it's all hibbly bibbly. But it's already been what, three months almost? Almost. God, it's weird. And it's gonna be another three months until we're back to quote unquote normal, just in time for the regular cold and flu season. So they can't survive being shut down this long. And they can't reopen under the guidelines because then they become unprofitable. Yeah, and Disney's closed down, or at least most of Disney, I and mean, some of it is going to be open. Uh, most of Disney is closed down for the rest of this year. So that's another six months of Disney being down. Yeah. Uh, but I am still excited on one thing that has not changed. Which is? Mortal Kombat is coming in January. Hopefully. If theaters reopen uh, soonish. Uh, Mortal Kombat is set to make a theatrical debut in January 2021. Well, here's hoping that they bring back fucking drive-ins, considering we have enough closed buildings that you can literally get a fucking car park and, and set up walls, whatever, and everyone has to pay for their spot, you pull in, and you can fucking do it that way. You know, the irony is we had a drive-in up until five years ago just down the street from the house. Really? We did. Right there on Highway 99 and 128th Street, up hmm. in Snohomish. Okay. Oh, I mean, up in Everett. Yeah, if you if you drove up to Everett, and right at that cross street on the left side going southbound, there used to be a drive-in, and up until about five years ago... It was, oh, so you're talking about where the uh, little industrial park is now? Now it's an apartment complex, yeah. Oh, they made an... Okay. Yeah, it's an apartment complex now, but it was a drive-in for about 15 years before that. The last five years, it was a farmer's market slash swap meet area. Then, yeah, about three years ago, they put it in an apartment complex. So, again, that's another thing that's changing. It's like, we had drive-ins even when I was young. Oh, yes. How, how were the 1930s? Oh, the 30s were fucking great. <laughs> Life was awesome until about 1935. Then shit got real. And anybody who thought that they could cry about how hard their life was would get sent over this little place called Normandy, and they would learn that life is fucking rough. Oh, yes. A lot harder than they thought it was. Fringe note, the anniversary of that is coming up here real soon. It is, it 6th is. 6th of June, for those of you keeping count. Storming the beaches at Normandy. Happened I'm not. 94. I got 44. you. 94. 94. No, no, no. I you were born in 94. <laughs> we stormed the beaches of Normandy in 94. 1994. Yeah, I, I can't even that, say it now. Fuck you. There would be so many historians doing a double-faced palm in a comment like that. No, that's... That's a slip of the tongue, not anything else. <laughs> as long as you say no homo, it's okay. So, so what? I wouldn't care. Why should I care? So what president sent us to Normandy? Was it Alexander Hamilton again? <laughs> All right, I've made a fool of myself enough, and I'm pretty oh, sure. Oh, no, wait, hold on. This is, this is American history. Remember, the Canadians sat out for most of that war. Oh, that's right. We just had a different invasion point at the uh, West Coast. Yeah. Ours went much smoother than yours did. 
Well, that's because, oh, you know, they needed to get... Some people needed shit to get done. That's why they sent the Americans to go die, while you guys were just polite. I mean, really, you guys are just a step above the Irish in that whole thing. And remember, in the famous words of your Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau... Oh, the great cuck himself? Yeah, the great cuck himself. Yeah. Let's not call honor killings barbaric. Yeah, that's right. You sit over there with your polite self and suck that up. Just just suck it all over your face. All this slimy goodness of that comment. I mean, right. what are we at for time? Because I'm, I'm seeing triple digits over there. We're done. Oh, yeah, we're we're done. We, we're we burnt out. We, 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 were, we went into full rant mode. I'm going back to my lair. Fuck you guys. I'm out. Because <laughs> I'm coming back to the skies. Fuck it. In 1994, the Americans invaded Normandy by liberating the Spanish on the orders of Alexander Hamilton. This fact of history brought to you by the Blunt Force Gamers. Enjoy! I can't believe you guys managed to miss the trap comment.